And so from then on, his name was Sausage. Um, and he's still called Sausage today. He's about 27. He's still called Sausage. Um, and there's a comedian who goes around and he does a bit of a, um, a, a bit on nicknames. And he does two, which I found very funny. Um, he has a guy called Bad Brack Brown, who one day came into school and just said, I've got a bit of a bad back. And so from then on, he's called Bad Back Brown. And another guy who was called Baghdad, and obviously that's something to do with the Middle East. No, he just came in one day to school and he had a bag that his dad had given him. So he's called Baghdad from then on. Now in this passage, we've got um, lots of different names of Jesus. And the, the passage is basically split up into three sections. First section, John the Baptist is saying, it's not me, I'm not the Messiah. The second part of the passage, he's saying, it's he, it's Jesus, he is the Messiah. And the third part of the passage is Jesus saying, follow me. So it's, um, it's not me, it's he, and follow me. Um, and it's quite a big passage, so Kerry, thank you for reading it. We had um, Ollie and Sophie reading it for us for the first part of the service, and there's lots in it. Um, but seven names of Jesus appear in this passage, um, and that is really significant. There's lots of different symbolism in John's gospel, um, but one of those things is numbers, and the number seven is really significant. There's seven signs in John's gospel, or seven miracles, and there's, um, seven is the number of perfection. And so this first um, prose passage in, um, the, in, the, in John's gospel is telling us that this is the perfect representation of who Jesus is. And it's going to come up on the screen um, just of who Jesus is. It says the seven names. We have um, the Son of Man, Rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, King of Israel, Lamb of God, and Messiah. Now it's really interesting that John... Um, starts off his, um, you know, his story. The first um, passage in John is a, is a poem describing the indescribable things of eternity and how Jesus came um, incarnate. And now we see it in the flesh and what it really looks like. And John starts off not by talking about Jesus, by talking about John the Baptist. Because John, the apostle, John who's writing the book, his, his book is called John. He's saying, well, there was this other guy called John and he came first. And John starts off by saying, it's not me. I'm not the Messiah. It says, are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no. But it's interesting that later on that Jesus says that he is um, Elijah. He's, Elijah's represent his, the new Elijah coming to make the way um, for Jesus to come into the world. And it's really interesting that John says, it's, I'm John. Um, this is another John, and John's not Jesus. And that's how he starts the passage. Um, and then it, it goes on and it says, John, he's saying, it's, it's not me, um, but it is he. And that's really interesting. It says, he says that th this Jesus, this guy who's coming after me, he is the Messiah and he is the one you're looking for. But to be honest, and John says, I didn't actually know it was him. I wasn't quite sure, which is really interesting. John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin, we know about that from the um, the the Advent narrative where Jesus was coming into the world and his mum and his um, Elizabeth spent some time together and John even leapt in the womb knowing that it was the Messiah. And John even says, I wasn't quite sure, I didn't quite know, but God said to me that the Spirit would fall on the person who was the Messiah. And even later on in, in Luke chapter 12, we hear of John sending some disciples to Jesus saying, are you really the one? John's in prison and he's not quite sure. And he says, are you really the one? How amazing is that, that John the Baptist of all people even had doubts. 
And for each of us today, how, how encouraging is that? that? Even John the Baptist wasn't quite sure. He maybe followed Jesus for 30 years um, as a carpenter and just said, this guy's a carpenter. He's probably not the one. I'm not quite sure. But Jesus doesn't, um, you know, get angry at him or condemn him. You know, our, verse, our memory verse for this, this month is that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And he doesn't condemn John, but he reaffirms him and reaffirms the, um, the belief, the faith that he has in Jesus. And God does that by sending the Holy Spirit to land on Jesus. And it's really interesting that John starts off, he, he, he says, I'm basically just baptizing with water here. I'm basically just giving you a bath. But Jesus, the one who's coming after me, the one I'm preparing the way for, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's the real baptism that each of us needs. And that's so interesting that John is just pointing forward and just saying, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And the two things I just think about there is, are we living lives like John where we just point to Jesus? Or do we keep the spotlight on ourselves? And the other thing is, are we... Um, letting ourselves be baptized in the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire that burns up anything in our lives that is not of Him and fills us up with His Holy Spirit to live for Him. And that's a challenge for each of us. Um, and then John goes even a little bit further and says, it's not only not me, but go after him. That's Jesus. Follow that guy. He says, that's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And then his disciples um, follow Jesus. And it's, real, it's a lovely passage, where, whereas um, uh, Johnny talked about earlier, the first thing that Andrew does is he goes and finds his brother. The first thing that he does is he goes and tells somebody else. And we have another um, narrative where Nathaniel is doubting. He says, you know, what's the best part of Nazareth? The road out of it. No one, no one, there's no one good from Nazareth. And he says, and then Jesus confirms to him, no, I'm the Messiah. I, you know, I knew that you were sitting under that fig tree when I didn't even see you. And he says, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Just from having heard that. So Jesus reaffirms somebody else's doubts in that passage as well and says, you're going to see amazing things much more amazing than me telling you you were sitting under a tree. But as I said, there's seven names of Jesus in this passage that represent the, per it's a perfect representation of who Jesus is. It represent, uh, can you put up the slide beforehand, Kuhn? It would be great. Um, this is just a wee image from the, uh, a YouTube channel called The Bible Project. You might not be able to see it, but it says that Jesus is the fully human Jesus from Nazareth. He is the messianic king and teacher of Israel and the son of God, who will die for the sins of the whole world. And the thing that stood out most to me in this passage is when John says, at the very start of John's gospel, that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so I don't know if Jesus looked like this when he was walking past him, um, but a lot of us will know the significance of saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's not just saying he's a timid little creature who can't really do much. He's saying much more than that. And so we're brought back to um, the Old Testament. We're brought back actually even further than, than Exodus. I'm going to talk about this in a little second. We're brought back to Genesis chapter 4, where um, Cain and Abel are offering sacrifices to God, and the acceptable sacrifice to God is a lamb who pays, or a, some livestock that pays its price um, for, for, for their lives. Um, the, the fruit isn't enough because something has to pay the price for their sin. 
And so there's a lamb there, and we have um, Isaac and um, Abraham going up the hill to make the sacrifice of Isaac, and then a ram or a lamb takes the place of Isaac. And then in Exodus chapter 12, we are given the Passover. So the 10 wonders have happened in, in Egypt. They're trying to get the people out of Egypt, and then God says, finally, right, enough is enough. We're going to do a sacrifice here. Someone is going to have to die to show Pharaoh that that we need to get these people out of here. So God tells them to make the sacrifice of this lamb, to cook it, and to paint its blood on the door. And that's so when the angel of the Lord passes by the door, he knows that something is supposed to die in that house, but with the blood on the door, he knows the price has already been paid, that the lamb has taken the place of the firstborn son. And so the blood is painted on the, the architraves of the door, actually not on the door, um, on, the, on the sides and on, on above it. Um, and we have this image shown as the angel passes by. And the amazing thing is that that points forward to Jesus. If you combine these two bits of painting together, if you put the, bring the top bit down and you bring the side bits in, you're given a cross. And so even in, in that early part of the Bible, we are told that some, there's going to be a more perfect sacrifice later down the line, and that sacrifice is Jesus. And John, at the very start of the gospel, says that guy is going to pay the price for each one of us. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world, and not just the sin of Israel. One of the guys in the passage says that's the king of Israel, but Jesus is more than that. He's going to pay the price for the whole world, and so John is opening up the circle, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. And so Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, our shame. He is the one who's going to pay the price so that when God passes by us, he knows that the price has already been paid. But the wonderful thing about this is that that's not the end, that we don't just finish at the cross. We don't just finish with blood on the door. We know that there's more than that. Jesus didn't stay dead and I want to read a passage for you from Revelation chapter 5, um, where it goes even further than that. Um, this is Revelation chapter 5, and I'll explain it a little bit afterwards. It's not too long. So this is John the Apostle on the island of Patmos, seeing the, the images, the vision of um, Jesus coming again and restoring the whole world, making all things new. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, 
the four creatures and the 12, 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain and you were, your blood has purchased for God. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you will and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. And it goes on to say that the lamb opens the scroll. And so we have um, this image, the image of a seven-eyed, seven-horned lamb that comes and appears in front of God. It's a really beautiful passage where God is sitting on the throne. He's holding this scroll, um, which I think is this, this, the, the blueprint for how God is going to make all things new the plans for, for fixing the whole world. He's holding these scrolls and no one is worthy to open the scroll. And they say, oh no, don't worry, the Lion of Judah, the big strong king, the Lion of Judah from the tribe of David, he's, he's worthy to open the scroll. And heaven looks around and they see a lamb that has been slain, a lamb that has been injured, is wounded, is covered in blood, a lamb that has seven eyes and seven horns. And so John's, John's revelation isn't just coded because it's indescribable. It's coded um, to make sure that the persecuted church back then could communicate things to each other. And so again, we have the number seven. So the number for perfection, seven eyes. You can see perfectly, so Jesus can see all things. Seven horns. Horns are a symbol of power, a symbol of um, attacking another animal. So Jesus is all-powerful. He looks as if he'd been slain because Jesus had died and he's risen again. And it's said that Jesus will be the only one in heaven with visible scars to show of how he has paid our price. And so Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, all-powerful and all-knowing, is able to open up the scroll to fix the whole universe. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sin and he is the one who is able to open the scroll. I don't know um, where each of us are today. I don't know um, if different names of Jesus in this passage are more significant to you, but this is really relevant to me, um, knowing that there's lots going on in, in my life that I want to claim Jesus' name over, that he is the Lamb of God who is able to open the scroll to fix the whole universe, and so he is able to open the scroll to fix my life. I don't know if you're challenged even today by the idea that you need to be baptized in, in God's Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the fire of his love to let the old you burn up and let Jesus make you new. And maybe you just want to ask Jesus for physical healing or for um, mental healing or for somebody you know and to call that um, and Jesus' name upon that. Whatever's going on in your life, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for sin, but more than that, the all-powerful, all-seeing Lamb of God who can open up the scroll for your life and for mine. And so we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven, in my world as it is in heaven. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, that he is the perfect representation of you in, in man. In Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Thank you that he was teacher, that he is teacher, that he is the son of God, he is the son of man. Thank you, Jesus, that he is the lamb of God. Thank you that he came to take away the sin of the world. I thank you that he was the lamb that was slain, but is worthy to open up the scroll. And we each have things in our lives, God, that we want to bring to you, whether our own sin and our need for forgiveness, whether it's physical healing, whether it's mending of relationships, or Lord, whether we just want to say thank you and praise you for the good moments that we find ourselves in if we find ourselves in good moments. God, thank you that Jesus was the one worthy to open up that scroll. And so as you've said, ask anything in your name, we we ask those things now, God. We ask that you would make us new that we may, we may make the world new. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord, we thank you for your holiness. And Lord, we know that your holiness is a, is a fearful thing. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you have made your holiness uh, to be a desirable thing for us because we have been saved and rescued through Jesus Christ. And Lord, that the Holy One has made us holy. Father, we just thank you for the wonderful gift of life. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for us and that you care for us. Uh, Lord, beyond our imagination, you love us as a father loves his children with, a, with your perfect love. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that today and this week, beyond all else, above all else, Lord, that we would be aware of your great love, that we would rest in your great love and trust in your great love. And, Lord, as we think of that, we, we remember Jesus who came to walk among us, to die among us, and to rise among us. And, Lord, Lord, 